Authors Playhouse. Indeed, Mr. Fane, you might have waited until I bade you enter. The fact is, hearing voices, I have less compunction in breaking in on you than I would otherwise have had. Is it not probable, sir, that I chattered to myself while I'm calculating my figures? And laugh. And laugh. You're evading the point, Mrs. Jessman. Is there anyone concealed in here? Well, was someone concealed there, or did pretty Mrs. Jasmine chatter and laugh to herself while she calculated her figures? The answer to these questions, and there is an answer, is not for us to tell. Instead, we go back in time to the graceful and charming England of George III. Imagine, if you will, a country inn located in the county of Cumberland in the last part of the 18th century. As Author's Playhouse presents... The late Sir Arthur Wing Panero's strange tale of The Widow of Wasdale Head. Two bulbs. Yeah. More wine. Why, Sir John? Ned, my dear sir, you don't drink. Come drink up. Oh, I'm sorry, Jack. Welcome to Wasdale Head. Thank you, Ned. Your health. <clears throat> well, Ned Tubo. Aye. It is like to be worse at a forlorn. There'll be sleets, loused and fleeting this neat, depend on it. Evan send the chimney stacks to hoard out. Amen to that. What's that? The sign of the house. It hangs on a post outside the inn. Creaks like that in the wind for hours. God, a ghostly sound. Uh, be there anything else I could do for you, Sir John? Uh, no, Tubal, thank you, no. Uh, very well, sir. <laughs> At last. But that he would never leave. And now, my dear Ned, let me inform you why I have intruded on you in this manner. Oh, it's no intrusion, Jack. To be candid, I've already guessed the object of your visit. Indeed. Well, then, that being the case... Oh, confound you, Jack. You don't suppose I attribute your sudden and unlooked-for appearance to mere inclination for gossip over a bottle? You, of all men, would never quit town at this time of year without an urgent reason. Since you phrase it that way... You were sent here by my family. They're vastly concerned at your absence. In the name of patience, why? Their letters plague me to death, Jack. Still, your visit here with Sir Roger Boltwood ended two months ago. True, it did. But... I became smitten with the beauty of the district. It's a lovely locality, in spite of flood and tempest. Oh, I keep forgetting you were a poet. Oh, Bosh, don't roast me for my follies. My dear boy, if our follies ceased with the scribbling of verses, we should be warranted in esteeming ourselves wise. <laughs> <laughs> so it is solely the beauty of the district that detains you, eh, Ned? Well, uh, yes. And when I, too, have explored this enchanting neighborhood, shall we travel home together, Ned? No, Jack. I can't leave here until... Secure the doors of the buttery tubal. Tis they that are banging. I'm Miss. As I live, what a beautiful woman. I'm sorry I was not by to receive you today, Sir John. Late as it was, I was at my farm in Burnford where I was tending some sick beasts. I hear you've read from Alverston today, which is a weary road. Oh, yes, I... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is my friend, Sir John Hunslet, Mrs. Jasmine. I know. I saw Sir John once when I was a child, driving his curricle in Hyde Park. He did make such a fine show. Oh, madam, I'm vastly honored. I... <laughs> I'm sure your friend is happy to see you here, Sir John. 
Wasdill Head is but a stern and solitary spot at all times. And March, our dreariest month. <clears throat> uh, suffer me to say, madam, that uh, meeting you has increased my happiness in no inconsiderable degree. <laughs> I, I fear Sir John does not know who or what I am. Please enlighten him, Mr. Fane. Uh, Mrs. Jessamine is mistress of this inn, Jack, and the widow of Mr. Henry Jessamine of Egremont. Oh, widow, ma'am? Oh, I'm sorry. Two years a widow, and a humble taverner and farmer, and at your service. Ah, I've brought you both a bowl of punch. Tis of my own mixing, Sir John, and I beg your indulgence for the widow's offering. Ned, ma'am, I swear you shall join us. Ned, a third glass. Oh, mercy, Sir John. I insist on my knees. Why, Sir John... For you, ma'am. Oh, thank you. And you, Ned? Thank you. There. Come now, bumpers. Ah, that's not fair, Mrs. Jesmond. Bumpers. Ah, there now. Ah, upon my soul, it is delicious. Permit me to compliment you on your skill, ma'am. Oh, the credit is none of mine, Sir John. It was my dear Harry that taught me. <clears throat> your late husband. A toast. I call a toast, then. Ned, Mrs. Jesmond, I give you... The king. <clears throat> oh, yes, certainly, ma'am. <clears throat> certainly. His most gracious majesty, King George. The king. God bless him. <clears throat> Another. Nay, spare me. Ned, to the lady of Wasdale. The lady of Wasdale. Oh, the widow thanks you, gentlemen, for your amiability. And with a full heart. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go to your bedchambers and see that your beds are properly prepared. Uh, allow me to light you, ma'am. Oh, it is not necessary, Sir John. A lantern hangs in the corridor. As I live, an adorable creature. My Jove, Ned. Uh, yes, Jack? You were right. Wasdell is the most beautiful district in the kingdom. <laughs> She's charming, a divinity, prodigious. How the devil did you... Oh, it is a simple story, Jack. Betty, uh, Mrs. Jesmond, eloped with Henry Jesmond, who established this tavern with what remained of his squandered inheritance. Since she has been two years a widow, he must have carried her to church in a go-kart. Well, they were only married a month. Riding home from a hunt, he was thrown and mortally hurt. He breathed just long enough to shoot his poor mare, who'd broken a leg, and then he laid his head upon her warm ribs and stirred no more. Hmm. Leaving this delicately bred young lady to brew punch and till the soil for her subsistence. And that's the wonder of it. Her aptitude is amazing. Not a farmer in Cumberland can match her knowledge of crops and cattle. I've seen the oldest and wisest of them approach her hat in hand to ask her counsel in a difficulty. And her reply is always the same. The same? Come back to me, she will say, as soon as you please after Friday. And you shall have my advice. Friday? Yes. Every Friday night she sits here in this room when the household is abed and makes up her books. Oh, the wind sings and hath a voice in it positively. Her parlor, eh? Yes. Every Friday night at the stroke of ten, I leave her here preparing for her work. And today... I have thought of that. Today is Friday. And it's close on ten now. <laughs> I, for one, am mightily relieved, Ned. Just as I suspected, entangled in a petticoat... Have you declared yourself yet? 
No. Why, man, what ails you? There's a mystery in this house. A mystery, eh? Yes, and I lack the courage to unravel it. Explain that. I leave Betty here alone every Friday night. But heaven forgive me for doubting her. I fear she doesn't remain alone. The devil, you say? Unless she's capable of talking to herself. Her vigil is no solitary one. Talking to herself? <laughs> Who would have thought it of her? The jades, they're all of a pattern. Talking to herself? Boy. A window. Uh, during my second week here, I had retired when suddenly I remembered that I had left a letter in here on the desk. I came to fetch it and was standing by the door, wavering whether I should rap. Yes. Then I heard the low muttering of a voice or voices. I could swear a man was talking. Every Friday night, Ned? Yes, and sometimes I've heard a soft wailful note, as if from an instrument. A signal. Steph, a thought just came to me. Look, an instrument such as this would produce the sound I heard. Hear this. A hunting horn. But it's dull for want of use. It is you that are dull. Look if it's bright at the mouth. Yes. The metal here shines like a guinea. Only five to four. That is not the only mouth pressed by those lips of hers. It is plain, Ned, that the wee widow's weekly vigil is but a ruse for entertaining her amaret at her ease, the troll. But, Jack, I... Away with your scruples. We leave the pretty witch to her pretense. Then you shall return and walk boldly in. By what right, Jack? You imagine she isn't aware that you are honestly in love with her? There's reason sufficient for you. I leave my pistols here under my cloak, should you chance to need them. Oh, Jack, it's impossible that she should be frail. She has the look and bearing of an angel. Her eyes, Jack, her eyes... <laughs> they are brilliant. They resemble the blue of a summer morning ever mist is dispelled. Her voice... Musical, I admit. Her voice is the quality of the harp in it when its strings are half muffled. Mark me, Jack, if I find her no better than she should be, I'll never trust woman again. Oh, Ned. Never, never. <laughs> Ned, I protest. You recall Mr. Garrick to me as the blackamoor in Shakespeare's play. Jack, I mean what I say. <laughs> when that great little man, Mr. Garrick, quits the stage, you shall fill his place, my dear Ned. I vow you shall. <laughs> Quiet, Ned. Here she comes. Make sure the shutters are tight, Tubal. Aye, mistress. It is way past ten o'clock. You've told Sir John, Mr. Fane? He has indeed. And to say the truth, I shall not be sorry to find myself in a soft bed and between a pair of sweet-smelling sheets at an earlier hour than is customable with me. Oh, you must dream you're in London, Sir John, card-playing with some choice cronies. Nay, ma'am, my dream shall be of a far more interesting sort, I promise you. Good night, Sir John. Good night, Mr. Fane. Good night. Hello, Ned. Good night, ma'am. Be there out else I can do for you? No, thank you, Tubal. Are the maids in their beds? Aye, and dead asleep, I reckon. The hussies. Good night, mistress. Good night, Tubal. Ah, at last. Everyone in bed. Thought they'd never retire. And now, dear Hal, come to me. Yeah. <laughs> 
dare go the slates of the old lean-to in the stable yard. Tis a terrible night. I wonder if he'll come. Now, Betty, have I ever failed to come when you called me back from the grave by blowing the horn? Tis a terrible night for you to be abroad, Hal. I'd almost hoped you wouldn't obey my call. There you go again, Lassie. Oh, how often have I told you all weathers one to a ghost. Now then, sit the dune and let's go to work. And hearty, if these winds continue to blow, thou'dst best clear the ewe flock off the fells into the lowlands. Do you hear? I hear, my dear Hal. Is there uh, aught else amiss here or at the farm? Uh, four of the shorthorn bullocks at Burnswood are lame from Kybe. What am I to do for them? Kybe? What? Why, I gave thee a remedy for Kybe a year since. I know you did, Hal, but I failed to note it. Oh, I'm sorely afeard you've no head, Betty. Thou'rt but a heedless, gay-hearted wench. Uh, what have you and the lads been doing for it? Uh, rubbing tallow fat betwixt the claws of the poor brutes. Tallow fat? Yes. Zounds, I wonder you ain't rubbed in some of the sweet pomade out sent thee from London for thy ringlets. Oh, Harry. Odds, Bob, she may well grin. Twould vastly tickle me were I alive. <laughs> uh, come now, uh, dip thee pen in the ink. Kybe. Kybe. Anoint with blue vitriol and hog's lard. Blue vitriol? Uh, Williams at St. Bridget's will sell thee blue vitriol. Uh, mix the stuff half and half, and, and within a fortnight, the beast will be sound-footed. Oh, thank you, dear Harry. Now, uh, uh, what's the next item, Bet? The next... Hell. Eh? Sit in thy armchair yonder while I talk to thee, will thou? Uh, certainly I will, child, if it afford thee any gratification. Tis all the same to a ghost, whether he be sitting or lying or standing... Oh, uh, there now. Uh, uh, do you fancy this posture? Oh, I remember thee in it constantly. Oh, that I might fill thy pipe and light it for thee at the candle and slip the scarlet end of it into thy poor mouth as I used to do. Nay, nay, Betty, that's talking sheer nonsense. Uh, uh, come, come, it is no good whimpering. Uh, get on with thy work. Oh, help, help. Why, Bet, what's wrong with thee now? I'm an imposter. I despise myself for fobbing off these Dalesmen with belief that tis I who helps them in their difficulties. Why, tis you that do it, Betty. Oh, Harry. I say tis so, and were I alive, I should be consumedly proud of you, Betty. If only I could reveal that you visit me in this manner. It would scare the folks for miles around. The inn and farms would be shunned, and thou'd be reduced to beggary. <sighs> I suppose so, Hell. Uh, it is lucky I had a bent for farming as well as for dicing and cockfighting. But a husband and wife are one, and so I take it, are a widow and her husband's ghost. Till she falls in love with another chap. There's logic for it. Gad, but that reminds me, Bet. Oh, of what, dear Harry? Uh, speaking of falling in love, the young gentleman that quartered himself under this roof two months ago is still here. Mr. Edward Fane. Aye, aye, that's him. A handsome black young man in his own hair. I wager he finds no lack of diversion at Warsdale, or he'd not linger as he does. He's sweet on the lass, sweet to a certainty. Hell, how can you? Aye, and thou'lt be losing thy heart to him. 
dark, not careful. Harry. And then I shall hear the blast of the horn no more on Friday nights, in spite of all thy tears and protestations. And thou'lt cast me aside and out of thy thoughts like a worn parasol. Hell, as if I could ever be inconstant to thee, my first and last love. Shame on you, poor grisly thing that thou art for thinking it of me. Dang it, there you go again, Betty. Grizzly. Oh, but just the same, when last I spied you both, he had a paper in his hand and he seemed to be reading or uh, reciting to me. Ah, yes. He had the taste for writing poetry and was reading one of his own compositions. Uh, that is the real reason he lingers at Wasdale, Harry. He declares the grandeur of the district elevates his mind. <laughs> What's his poetry like, lass? I warrant is all love and dove and that sort of muck. Oh, nay, it is somewhat better than muck. Eh? The piece he was reading, the, uh, uh, how was that style? To Aminta, a lady dwelling in the country. Ah, a lady dwelling in the country. Tis thee, of course. Oh, hell, there are hundreds of ladies that dwell in the country. And he'd bear thee off to London, would he, to the haunts of men. Why the... Harry! Uh... <clears throat> I've a question to ask thee concerning the crooked field below Buckbarrow. <laughs> Harry! <laughs> oh, hell, who could that be? What we... Who's there? Did I? Forgive me, mother. Indeed, Mr. Fane, you might have waited till I bade you enter. The fact is, hearing voices, I had less compunction in breaking in on you than I should otherwise have had. Voices? Yes. The sounds of laughing and talking. I see. Is it not probable, sir, that I chatter to myself while I'm calculating my figures? And laugh. And laugh. You're evading the point, Mrs. Desmond. Is there anyone concealed in here? Concealed? Nay, then he must have left the room as I entered it. Mr. Fane, do you realize... I swear I heard more than one voice, and that a man's. By heaven, you are deceiving me. Deceiving you? Oh, what am I to you or you to me that I should deceive you or enlighten you on any matter that does not concern your abode at my inn so that your bed is clean, your food wholesome and my charges fair and you acquit them promptly? What obligations, pray, are we under to each other? I love you. Love me, sir? Yes. I've loved you from the first moment I saw you and on the day I came to this inn and checked my bridle at the porch... You stood with your hands resting on my horse's shoulder and your eyes drooped before mine. I've loved you from that moment. Love me? Well, I've oft, often been struck with the idea that you were exceedingly well disposed toward me, but... Well disposed? But until now, you've never spoken a word of love to me. You are full of courage tonight, at any rate. I must admit to a display of jealousy. Mrs. Jasmine, Betty... I set out for London tomorrow, carrying with me recollections that will remain with me until death. Recollections of the hours we've spent together in this room. Hours of bliss before I mistrusted thee. Hours of anguish when I endured the torments of the damned. I ask you only to remember that I would have crowned you with my honor and esteem, adored you and defended you and given you my heart to lean upon. But after tonight, after hearing those voices... Edward! It is true, then, that you love me. Oh, my dear, I have been false and unworthy as you accused me. But tis my secret visitor that I'm false to and not to thee, my dearest Ned. No. What can I do? Don't put me from thee for this once. I have known of thy love for me from the beginning. And, oh, heaven pardon me, my dear. I have loved that thou shouldst love me. Betty, my love. 
My dearest. I love you, Ned. And as you ride away tomorrow, glance up at my window before you leave. That I shall not do. Now, where is this visitor? Edward, pistols, why? They are Sir John's. He left them here lest I should encounter the rats that have obtained such pernicious influence over me. Oh, Edward, listen to me. Where is he hid? No bullet can harm him. Twould but whistle through him and strike the wall. Are you out of your senses? Am I? Thou shalt see. Unhook that horn from the wall and bring it to me. The signal? Yes, the signal. Here, let me have it, Ned. Watch closely, Ned. Merciful powers. Drop the pistols. They will do no good. A ghost. A ghost? Yes, Ned. Tis my husband's spirit. My grief called it to me in the young days of my bereavement. And it has visited me every week since and guided me in the conduct of my land and property. And tis my resolve to remain constant to this shadow as though to a flesh and blood and bone. You, my dear Ned, have been pleased to take an interest in me. Oh, not without excessive jealousy. And you will be glad when you quit Wasdale Head tomorrow to reflect that the poor widow that has done her best for your comfort and entertainment is not entirely alone. Good night, Mr. Fane. Betty, Mrs. Desmond, I... Good night. Good night. Hal, I hope thou art not angry. It was Mr. Fane that interrupted us, but he may be trusted. Thank heaven he leaves tomorrow. Now, let me see. What was it I was about to ask thee? Uh, oh, yes, the crooked field by Buck... Bur Why, how dim you are, Harry. Dim? Egad, but I should think so. Thou knowest that I owe this ghostly existence of mine only to thy love for me. I marvel after witnessing what hath passed betwixt you and Mr. Payne that thou canst discern me at all, man. Witnessing? Aye. Did he imagine I was out of eye and earshot? But, but you disappeared when he burst in. I faded out, Betty, but I've been with thee the whole while. Oh, hell. Nay, nay, lass, no tears. I should be making the fuss, and but, George, I would too, but that thou hast diminished me to such a degree that I am scarce capable of.